Chapter 1 of Jewish Fairy Tales and Fables by Aunt Naomi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Slave Who Became a King Adam was the name of a slave whose master was one of the kindest that ever lived. He was very anxious to make his slave happy. Adam, he said one day, although thou art a slave, and it rests with me to do with thee what I will, I never forget that thou art a man, made in the same likeness as I, thy master. Has it ever occurred to thee that thou art a man, an ordinary man, apart from being a slave? The slave merely bowed. I intend to give thee thy freedom, said his master, that thou mayest be a true man. It is for thee to do with me as thou wilt, replied Adam. If it so seems to thee that I shall be a true man by my freedom, then shall I be pleased to receive it from thee. Thy will is mine. Nay, not so, answered his master kindly. It is my desire that thou shouldst use thy will and thy judgment as thy own. I give thee thy freedom to make the best use of it, but I will give thee more than freedom. Thou shalt have riches. I will give thee a shipload of varied merchandise. Sail with it to different lands, dispose of it well, and what thou receivest in payment shall be thine to enjoy as thou thinkest fit. It will rest entirely with thee to make thy journey profitable. Fare thee well. I thank thee, noble master, replied the slave reverently. It shall indeed be my aim to prove that I am a man fashioned in the likeness of my master. The ship which his master gave him was stored with goods of every description, and as Adam stood on the deck waving farewell to his master, he felt happy. Yet there was a touch of sadness in his joy, for he realized that his wealth brought great responsibilities with it, and that to dispose of his wares successfully and to the best advantage he would have to be careful. For two or three days all went well, and his ship sailed gallantly before a favourable breeze. But then a mighty storm arose, dark masses of cloud hid the bright heavens, the wind in great fury lashed the waters into foam, the sails were ripped from the masts, and the vessel was borne rapidly along, helpless in the gale. Adam himself took the rudder of the ship, but he felt that some mightier power than his own was directing the vessel. The ship gave a great lurch, and the rudder was wrenched from his grasp. In a vivid flash of lightning, he saw that the vessel was being driven straight against a huge rock. A terrific crash of thunder followed. It seemed to make the ship quiver from stem to stern. Some of the crew were on their knees praying, others had been swept overboard, and Adam stood alone with folded arms on the deck of his vessel, trying to pierce the blackness into which he was being whirled by the gale. 
So this it is to be free, he said. Hardly had he spoken when there was a fearful crash, followed by screams from the crew. The vessel had dashed against the rock. It was smashed up as if it were a mere toy struck by the club of a terrible giant. Adam was flung amid a heap of wreckage into the sea. He caught hold of a fragment of wood and was carried with it against the rock. With great deftness he clasped a projecting spur and drew himself upon it. There he sat crouched against the rock until the storm abated. The thunder rolled away in fitful rumbling. The lightning ceased and the wind abated as if it were tired after its frenzy. Once again the sun pierced the clouds and Adam looked about him. Not a sign of his ship could he see. One or two spars floated about, but the vessel with its precious cargo and every one of the crew had foundered. Dropping his head on his hands, Adam wept like a child. This it is to be free, he cried bitterly. But after a while he felt ashamed of himself. What would my old master say if he saw me weeping thus, he said to himself. This is not making the best use of my freedom. He roused himself and looked about him. The tide was receding from the rock, and below him was a stretch of sand. He walked along the shore for some miles, but no sign of life could he see. Not a ship was visible on the water, not even a spar of wood from his wrecked vessel now appeared. All, all lost, said Adam, the tears starting to his eyes afresh. But I am a man, I must not despair. He left the shore, scaled some low rocks and struck inland. The land was like a vast desert and he did not know where to go. He wandered aimlessly about for a while, until at last he saw what appeared to be trees in the distance. Weary as he was with suffering and with hunger, he hastened forward and soon came in sight of a beautiful city. As he approached, he saw people coming towards him. I must needs ask them to befriend me, he said sadly. Perchance I shall have to become a slave again. That would be worse than the shipwreck. He could not quite understand why he should now love his freedom, although it had only brought him misfortune and sorrow. As the people drew near, he saw that they were well dressed and that they had a beautiful carriage drawn by gaily caparisoned horses. Long live the king, they shouted. Adam, however, could not see the king. There were numerous attendants in rich attire about the carriage, but it was empty. He stood still in surprise. I must wait until his majesty passes, he said. To his great astonishment, however, the richly attired attendants came and bowed before him, and all the people cried, Welcome, welcome, long live the king. The chief attendant, an old man with a flowing white beard and priestly raiment, bore a crown of gold on a crimson cushion. He approached Adam, bowing low. May it please your majesty, he said, here is your royal crown. 
and all the people cried, Hurrah! Long live the king! I, I do not understand, said Adam. I think, good people, you have made a mistake. I am but a poor shipwrecked merchant who was but a few days ago a slave. My kind master freed me and gave me wealth, but I have been wrecked on your shore and am a beggar. Long live the king, cried the people again. Welcome, your majesty, said the priest. Will it please your majesty to enter your royal carriage? Like one dazed, Adam entered the carriage. The crown was placed upon his head, and accompanied by a cheering crowd, he was conducted into the city. All the streets were gaily decorated, and the populace cheered and cheered again. Across a beautiful square, the carriage was led to the gates of a magnificent marble palace. When Adam alighted, a flag was unfurled on the highest tower of the palace. Gaily dressed trumpeters with golden trumpets blew a triumphant blast, and the cheering of the people grew to a roar that made Adam think of the thunder in the storm. He was conducted to a chamber where many servants gathered about him and dressed him in royal garments. "'What is your majesty's pleasure?' asked the aged priest, conducting Adam to a spacious chamber at the end of which was the throne. "'I am faint with hunger,' he replied. "'I would have food.' Immediately he was conducted into another magnificent apartment where a banquet was prepared." Adam quickly appeased his hunger, and then looked about him. "'Surely this is a dream,' he said. It was real enough, however. Attendants stood beside him to obey his slightest command. The sound of beautiful music from an adjoining chamber came to his ears, and through the window of the palace he could see the beautiful city. The sun was setting, and everywhere... Hundreds of coloured lights appeared. They were the illuminations in honour of the coming of the king. Truly, I am a fortunate slave, said Adam to himself. He stood up, and immediately silence fell upon the throng of courtiers and attendants in the banqueting chamber. Gentlemen, said Adam, whatever this is, reality or a dream, I know not. I fain would know. But first, ere either the dream or the reality ceases, I would thank you for your great kindness. And now I pray you, tell me the meaning of this, for truly my head is in a whirl, and I understand it not. Long live the king, shouted the courtiers and attendants, and the crowds outside took it up, and away rolled the cry from street to street, until it died into an indistinct murmur in the distance. The priest rose at the other end of the table. Your Majesty, he said, the time has come when you should know what it is that has befallen thee. Proceed, said Adam, reseating himself. I am eager to hear. Know then, said the priest, that this land is an island, peopled not by mortals, but by spirits and fairies. Long years ago we prayed to God to send us a mortal to reign over us, 
and our prayers were answered. Am I that fortunate mortal? asked Adam eagerly. Listen, Your Majesty, I beseech you, said the priest gravely. Your Majesty is not the first king of this spirit island. Our kings reign but one year. I understand not, said Adam, looking round in great fear. Your Majesty need have no fear, said the priest, noticing this. You shall be treated as our king, and we know our duty and how to love and honour our king for one whole year. And what will happen then? asked Adam. One year from today, answered the priest, your majesty's royal vestments will be removed, the crown will be taken from you, and you will be placed on board a ship and taken away to a vast desert island, and a new king will be sent us to reign in your stead. This is very strange, said Adam. For one whole year I shall be the happiest mortal in the whole world, and then, perchance, the most miserable for the rest of my life. That, your majesty, said the priest solemnly, rests with you alone. How so? asked the king. All the kings who have reigned over us before thee, gracious sire, returned the priest, have been careless, thriftless, thoughtless, and pleasure-loving. They have thought only of their year of regal power, and have made no preparation for the desert island that is to follow. And when the day of their dethronement has come, they have been taken by surprise, for the length of our years vary, and we know not today what will be the length of this new year. That is for the astronomers to decide by the stars. The king sat thoughtful for a while. He recalled his former master's words and determined to use well his judgment. I thank thee, noble priest, he said at last. I will ponder well thy words and seek thy advice. But tell me now the name of my island kingdom. That, your majesty, was the answer, may you not know until the day of your departure. Adam found that he had many duties to perform as king, but he did everything wisely and acted always in the best interests of his people, so that they quickly grew to love him. The old priest was ever at his side to advise, and one day he told him how to prepare for the dread day of his dethronement. Thou art king, and thy commands must be obeyed, he said. Send, therefore, to the desert island men who will till the ground, plant corn and fruits and build houses, so that the land may be made habitable and beautiful. Establish there a new kingdom, where thou wilt be received as here. It is indeed excellent advice, replied the king, and to make sure of the work being successful, I will myself journey thither and superintend all the work. That may not be, hastily replied the priest. Our king may not leave our island. His duty is with us and he must stay here. But your majesty has only to remember that you are king. Your commands must be obeyed, and you can choose the best workpeople to carry them out. Truly it is so, said the king. 
At once he sent to the island the very best workmen he could obtain, and he knew that they carried out his commands faithfully. Before the year was ended, he knew that the island was no longer barren, and that he would be welcomed to a fruitful and flourishing land which had ceased to be a desert. So while he lived in happiness among his spirit subjects, he looked forward with joy to the day when he should leave them and enter into his own kingdom. The day came at last. The crown was taken from him. The royal robes were removed, and Adam was clad in the rags in which he had made his entry into the island. The streets of the city were draped in black, the people were all in tears, and a band playing doleful music marched at the head of the procession to the desolate seashore, where Adam had been saved from the wreck. Adam was in tears. He was loath to leave this beautiful island, where for a year, among his faithful spirit subjects, he had been a king and happy. But as he thought of the new land to which he was going, his heart beat with joy, and he smiled through his tears. Weep not, my good people, he said to the crowd that gathered about his carriage, which was draped in black. You will have another ruler. Be faithful to him, and he will be truly a king to you. Forget not me, if you think I have deserved to live in your memory, and weep not for me. My future happiness is assured. I go to a new island, there to reign as long as I live. As he stepped on board the vessel which was to bear him away, he said to the aged priest, Tell me now, I pray you, the name of the kingdom over which I have ruled for the length of a spirit year. Its name, replied the priest, is Nefesh. It is the island of life. And the name of the land to which I go? That, sire, depends on thee, on what have been thy commands as to its cultivation. If the land has been well prepared, as I believe under thy instruction it has, then its name shall be Olom. It will be the island of eternity. Fare ye well, cried Adam, waving his hand, as the vessel moved off. I go to happiness and peace in my kingdom of Olom. End of chapter 1